0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Tonight, I get the privilege of diving straight into just giving us a teaser, a taste of what the series holds for you and I. And I pray that tonight will spark excitement in your heart to lean more into what God has for us in the series. So we're going to go to our main anchor verse, as found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. I'm going to read it first for us, if you're okay with that. Here it goes, it goes like this. No matter what happens, conduct yourself in a matter worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm, sounds good, eh? It's going to sound even better now because you're going to say it with me. Are you ready? We're going to read it all together when I to count to three. One, two, three. No matter what happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sheesh, you guys are good, eh? Wow, amazing. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, we very charismatic here, and say to him, no matter what. Good. And now I've seen a few of you have ignored some people on the other side. Why don't you tell them, I owe you a coffee afterwards? Or a pancake. There are pancakes on sale, so you might need to buy one of those for ignoring them. You know. But this evening, very quickly, I want to give us some context of the, this great book, this letter. So three questions you need to ask, and when you're reading the Bible, it can get quite confusing at times. So three questions that are helpful to ask as you engage with any passage in the Bible is, number one, who wrote it? Number two, who was it written to? And thirdly, why did they write it? Great questions to have in your back pocket as you engage with the Word of God. So let's go to the next slide, Andres, if that's possible. And we find out these three questions, I've answered them for you. How amazing. You just have to listen, and then you go, wow, don't have to do any work easy here. First, first answer is who wrote it? It was a man named Paul. And this incredible guy, Paul, was a Jew of Jews. He was Jewish through and through. And actually, he gives us a brief synopsis of who he was in Philippians itself, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It says this, Paul talking, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. They start them young. You know? <laughs> I'm a pure-blooded... Come on, guys, it's Sunday nights, man. It's church, please. (laughs) I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. This is who Paul was. Paul was a legalistic, pharisaical Jewish man who was faultless in his own eyes, and so much so that the the extent of his pursuit of of being right with God in his own strength led him to getting intense hatred for the church, people who called themselves Christians, who trusted not in their own strength to obey the law, but in Jesus. It riled him up so much that he became famous as a persecutor of the church. So much so that actually, he actually in fact made a living from killing Christians. His his modus operandi was to round them up and to murder them. That was Paul's job. So straight on the outset of this series, I want to tell you this. If you think you are too far gone, or you say, you don't know, Gabe, the things that I've done. I want to tell you this. If you haven't murdered Christians yet, you're not too far gone. But are you wait, wait here. Maybe one or two have slipped in and go, oh even if you have murdered Christians. Let me tell you this. God used that guy who murdered Christians to write the majority of the New Testament. No one is too far for the grace of God. No one is too far for the grace of God. The good news, and that's what we have to put in our heart, because actually Paul, in our modern day co- context, would have been like a member of ISIS. Somebody who was taking, taking joy and pleasure and getting applauded for killing Christians. People who didn't believe what he believed. So we've got to actually not hate them, but pray for them. Because I, want, I believe that God may, may be about to raise up a man, another Paul, out of that group. Meet that man in that, that ISIS group. So open his heart to Jesus. And he'll take the gospel where no one else has been able to go before. We've got to be praying for these people. Because God works in the things of impossibility. That's where he begins. But incredible, this man Paul, that's who he was, a murderer of Christians. But in Acts chapter 9, he meets God. He meets Jesus in, in reality, in an incredible way, as Jesus re- reveals himself to him, and Paul is forever changed. He's a different man. From Acts chapter 9, it's a book in the Bible, in the New Testament, which is, the, the, in the sense, the storyline behind all the letters that Paul writes after that. It's Acts chapter 9 is when Paul meets Jesus, and his life is forever changed. 180 degree different. He leaves the old behind, and he walks into the new, as many people have decided to do tonight. Acts chapter 10 to 12 what happens is those, those three year, there's three years in those three chapters, and Paul, he, 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 after getting saved, he stays in Jerusalem and Damascus, and he preaches there, and he meets the other apostles and disciples, but then in Acts chapter 13 to 15, he gets set apart, and his ministry begins, and Paul and Barnabas and a whole other crew of, of, of supporting Acts end up taking the gospel for the first time outside of the greater Jewish jurisdiction. So for the first time that the gospel left Jerusalem in a great area was through a man named Paul who was once a murderer of Christians. Amazing. Waiting for that guy to take it forward. So Acts chapter 13 to 15, we see Paul's first missionary journey. Then Acts chapter 16, where we pick it up tonight, is his second missionary journey. This takes place in AD 51 to AD 53. And that's where we pick up tonight the second part, this man Paul, who was now called by God to take his gospel to people who had not heard it yet, arrives in the second place, Philippi, who it was written to. So very quickly, the, the, the area of Philippi is in modern-day Greece. And that area is where, uh, was a, a Roman colony, but it's where East met West, where Europe and Asia collided. It was, it was like the gateway city to, to the rest of Europe. And Paul arrives there, and in Philippi, there was not one predominant culture you would, you would be, be hard-pressed to find a local Philippian there. There were people from Rome or further field, and, and people from the, the, from the east who would come as businesses, because business brought them all together in this melting pot, and it was, I can imagine something like Cape Town. Because I, in Cape Town, I meet many people, and I go, hello, where are you from? They say, I'm from Joburg. <laughs> then you meet the next person, where are you from? I'm from Durban. Where are you from? I'm from Zimbabwe. I'm from, it's like, are there any locals here in Cape Town? If you are from Cape Town, give us a wave. How many? How many of you? Very nice. Wow, like three or four of you. Brilliant, eh? You guys should form a club or something. Wow, man. Very good to have you here, Cape Thank you for coming. It really is good to have re- real-born Catonians here. Hopefully, all Stormers fans. Eh? Hopefully, eh? Just checking. Just checking. Good. But you see, in this, in this culture, there was a melting pot. There was no uh, predominant culture because it was a transient city. It was like students and then because of the, the, the education system and business owners coming in and out, in and out. And it was this transient city. And not only but the reason why it was like this, it was because it was a prosperous trading city. They had many gold mines and trading ports where, where much business was conducted. But the spiritual climate in this area, the city, was that you would also, instead of not only finding any locals, you probably would be hard-pressed to find any Christians. The reason why? Because the gospel hadn't got there yet. There actually were no Christians in Europe yet. This was the climate Paul went into. But actually, because there was a lot of different ideas and philosophies in one area, there was every other spiritual expression under the sun in in Philippi, except Christianity. And what happened because of that, uh, with the tensions and all the group, when you put a, people, a bit of, a bit of a melting pot of people together, what usually happens is racial strife, economic oppression and spiritual confusion. And this is the, the atmosphere Paul arrives into in, this, in the city, so it's actually very similar to what I believe we find in Cape Town today. It can't be too much different. So the incredible thing for us is our nation. If we're honest, we look at our nation: racial strife, economic oppression, spiritual confusion. That's us. So this book written many, many years ago has something to say to you and I today. Isn't that good news? Brilliant. But then we arrive in Acts chapter 16. So if you've got time later in this week, go read Acts chapter 16. That is the, the birth of the Philippian church that Paul would, eight years later, write this letter back to. And we find in this beginning, he meets three groups of people. The first person is a lady called Lydia. And when he meets Lydia, Lydia, let me give you a little bit of a description of her. She was a businesswoman. She was a God-fearing a religious woman, but not a Christ-following woman. She wanted to do things right. She wanted to do things well and live a good life, but she hadn't found the giver of life yet. But this was a businesswoman. The, the Philippians tells us that she actually dealt an expensive purple cloth, which would have put her probably in the fashion industry. And I can imagine her being a fashion designer, like a really top, top lady. And I would imagine in my head that she's probably like the, the, the judge on Philippi's Next top model. That's probably who she was in my head. That type of woman. She was a go-getter. And Paul meets her. And the, the Bible tells us that Paul preached. She listened. She got saved. She found Jesus. And the amazing thing is the next thing says she took him home. And, uh, and, and the whole, whole family got saved. Her whole household got saved. Because Paul has arrived in the city with the gospel. So we find the first woman is a, li- a lady named Lydia. Secondly, we find a demon-possessed slave girl all in Acts chapter 16. And this, this, this girl is following Paul and Silas around after encounter with Lydia, and she's, she's speaking and, and, and causing quite a disruption. And I can imagine this girl, the Bible tells us, demon-possessed slave girl, in our context probably was a psychic or a fortune teller who was being pimped up by slave owners. In my mind, she is young. She had probably walked away from her family many years before to seek her fame and fortune in the big city, the big city lights of Philippi. And she had got there and she fell in with the wrong crowd, and they wooed her and promised her fame and fortune. Stick with us. It'll go well. But in, they ended up using and abusing her for her gift. And she got pillaged and, and used. And the, this, she became enslaved by these people. And in this moment on the street, Paul turns around, confronts her, and casts out a demon and tells her the demon to leave her. The demon has been oppressing her, and she gets set free Dramatically. And her life is never the same again. And we know this because her slave owners are so angry that the demon has left her, they have now lost the opportunity to make money from her. So they're so furious, not because she's been set free, but now their their economic well-being, the pimps are bummed. They're not happy anymore. So what they do is they cause a stir and they say, who is this guy turning things upside down? So what they do is they take Paul and his mate Silas and they throw them unlawfully into jail because Paul was a Roman citizen. Paul should have had a trial or if there was any charge at all, but he was just hauled and thrown into jail. And can I tell you, this man there in jail, sitting there, and what happens is, uh, it says this, what I would have been doing, if I'm honest, if I'd just been thrown in jail, if I'd just preached a great sermon, somebody got saved, the whole family got saved, they invite us home for cookies and tea, really nice. Then we meet a slave girl, and Paul goes, goes all benny in on her, and this God does amazing things, and it's like, wow, I've got the power. And then the next thing is I'm in prison. I'm going, God, hey, what's going on here? Ah, come on, this is not fair. You know, I've, I'm doing what you say. I've ended up in prison, and i will probably be sulking if I'm honest. Is there anyone else who probably agrees with me? Is this church? We can be honest, yeah. But what we find is Paul's not doing that. Paul and Silas tells us at midnight, when the night was darkest, with chains around their, their ankles and their wrists, they've been beaten. They are singing and praying hymns to God, or praying and singing hymns to God. And in this moment of worship, it says God met them, and an earthquake happened, and the earthquake broke their chains off, opened the prison doors, and they, they, were, they had the ability to walk out freely. Now, this is where we meet our third character, the third and final guy who finds uh, Christ because of Paul moving coming to Philippi with the gospel. He was a jailer, a Gentile jailer. In my mind, this man was a blue-collar worker who took pride in his job as a jailer, working for the Roman government. A blue-collar guy. I can imagine that he had a young family and, had been, and he had been transferred by the government to, to Philippi to come. He said, and, and they probably promised him, saying, if you do this job well, there'll probably be a promotion, a promotion. He probably explains his family. We can send money back home to Rome, to mom and dad. If I, it's long hours, but it's good for our family. It's good for my career. I'm a hard worker. And this is probably, I can imagine, what's in his heart. But as... This moment came as the jail erupted and all the prisoners could have run free. This man was so wrecked by this, and he was like, You know, if, if they all leave, tomorrow morning I'm getting executed. And his pride was on the line, and he thought, No, I, I can't do I can't let down my family, I can't get let down everyone. What do they think that I've done as a as a hard worker? So this man, Jailer, got a sword and he was about to kill himself, impale himself there. But before he could do it, a voice came from the cell, and Paul yelled out, Don't do it. We're still here. All of us. And the guy was so perplexed that these men who had been supernaturally set free refused to walk out the jail. They said, no, we're still here. And because of an act of kindness and mercy, this man saw it and said, there's something different. And he found Christ and he took them home and, they got, and, and, he, and he ended up baptizing the, whole Roman, the Gentile jailer's whole family. Just like something like tonight, amazing moments as a woman, a slave and a Gentile get saved. Now, why this is amazing is because, as I said earlier, Paul was a Jewish man. And now all Jewish men, even up to today, it's, it's, it's truth. It's, it, you can go Wikipedia it afterwards if you want. But what happens is every Jewish male has a prayer that they pray every now and again. And this is how the prayer goes. They go, thank you, Lord, that I was not born a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Some of you probably pray prayers like, thank God I wasn't born a skinny, red-headed white guy. But anyway. <laughs> But the Lord might be dealing with you tonight. <laughs> but the phenomenal thing is this Philippian church, the man of prejudice, the man who was angry Christians, who was a Jew of Jew, who despised women, Gentiles, and, and slaves. The first three people of this church were the antithesis of what he really longed for. And God said, I'll use you to accomplish my ends. The gospel is much bigger than our prejudices. I love it, and it gets into the story, and this is how the Philippian church is born, this melting pot culture, as God gets in, unites them, they've got no other common ground except the fact that the gospel gets in and a church is birthed. That's where we get to the third point tonight, is purpose. Why did Paul write it? Eight years later, he was in Philippi in Acts 16, AD 51 to AD 53. Then he goes on other journeys, And, uh, and eight years later, in AD 61, we find Paul, you'll find it in Acts 28, he's thrown in jail again unlawfully, unfairly, he's been put under pressure by, by people. And he's thrown into jail, and Paul then starts penning a letter to the Philippian church. Now, again, I don't know about you, but I can imagine if I was writing a letter, and I'm going, the one thing that reminds me of this church, is visit to the church was I was in jail when I started, I'm in jail now when I'm writing back to them, I'm going to be writing to them going, hey guys, your life's hard, eh? suck it up, heaven's waiting, I hope Really, this has been really hard that's what I would write but actually the predominant tone of this message is four chapter book from a man in prison who has known beatings who's known shipwrecks who's known snakebites who's known being isolated being left by his friends he writes a letter to tell them that they can have joy in every circumstance This letter is about joy fundamentally. He thanks them for their partnership in the gospel. He tells them that you can have contentment in all things. He says that you can have the peace that passes all understanding. There's actually the whole reason for this book is to tell them that they can have joy in every single season. It's an amazing thing because a lot of all other books, uh, letters Paul writes are to bring rebuke or challenge or correction or some theological uh, reminders. In this book, The only theology that really appears is in chapter 2, and the purpose of that beautiful theology that we'll get to in the series is actually just to be a practical reminder for them. Copy Christ. That's what he's saying. So it's not even a theological, that's not the main thrust. The main thrust is to tell them you can have joy in Christ Jesus. Beautiful book. Something that I feel I want to lean into myself. So in effect, this whole book, and tonight if you're looking for a title, because I'm going to land it now with three quick points for you and I to take home this week, is this. Tonight, Paul is going to tell us how to have joy in our prison. That's right. Paul is wanting to tell you and I how to have joy in our prison. I want to tell you, I believe that we or in some shape or form, are in a prison. Maybe not physically, but metaphorically. Financially, we're feeling hamstrung. We're feeling tight. We don't know where to turn. Where am I going to get out of this from? Emotionally, we feel we've got no leverage or depth to our emotions. We're just falling flat all the time, or in relationships, or in our identity, or in our whatever. We're feeling imprisoned by addictions. I don't know what your story is, but Paul is saying, in in your prison, you can have joy. In Christ Jesus, and that's what I want to get to, to this tonight, very quickly. Some sub- presuppositions about everybody on the face of the earth. Number one, everybody is searching for joy. Everybody is searching for joy. Tell you, if you trace whatever you give your heart to, if you even your the reason you're going for work, at the end of the day, you're trying to there's a joy reality. Why are you going to work? I want to tell you, I believe that that the reason that all of you are here tonight is because you are pursuing joy. Some of you, maybe it's because you're going, you know, I really love coming to this church and there's joy when I'm here. Beautiful. But I want to tell you, even if you're here because your wife has been nagging you all week, we have to go to church, you have to go to church, and you've come just to satisfy to stop her nagging, you're pursuing joy because you're thinking, if I stop her nagging, then I'll have joy. Everything we do is motivated by, can I have joy in my life? Am I wrong? Good word, eh? They taught us that at it in. Anyway. Everybody can have is searching for joy. Second presupposition about everyone is that very few of us have it. Every advert has got a smiling man promising us that we can have joy. If we just buy this product, you will be happy. I saw an advert the other day, a guy wearing underpants. If you buy my undies, you too will be happy. Must be some truth in that, yeah. Go to a holiday destination, then you'll find joy. All these things, they they promise us this, but they never really deliver. Why do I know this? There's two ways to be unhappy. To not get what you want, and secondly, to get what you want. You just have to ask somebody who's been trusting, I can't wait to have my baby, I can't wait to get my baby, it's gonna be amazing. Then they have their baby, they're going, I can't wait till I can sleep until when they leave home. It's so tough. They poo a lot. Am I right? Am I right? There I am. I know I am. So there we go. First one, everybody is searching for, for joy. Secondly, very few of us seem to have it. And thirdly, and this one might be a bit of a down on a Sunday night, everybody will suffer in some shape or form in this thing called life. And that's not me just trying to bring you down on a Sunday night. It's truth that if you live long enough, you will bleed. It's the truth. Life happens. But in this letter, Paul is a great guy to listen to. If, we, if you are saying yes to all three of those things, I want joy, I don't really know if I can have, I have it all the time in every season. And thirdly, yes, I know there's times of pain and suffering in my life. I want to tell you, in this letter, Paul is saying, you can be joyful, you can have peace, you can be content in all things, no matter what. And he's giving us a secret. Surely you and I should be reading this letter. What's in it? Whether you're a Christ follower or not, this letter holds something for you and I. So here we go. To kick off the series, no matter what struggle you're facing, marital, financial, health pressures, Paul here is offering us a guide on how to have joy no matter what. You ready for the three points? Put in your back pocket. Go to our God's view. First point will appear on the screen is this. Number one, looking at scripture we started with, is no matter what. Let me explain what I mean there. We have to pick up a no matter what attitude in our hearts. We have to determine in our hearts that no matter what happens, we can and should live in joy. What I mean by this is that joy is part of yours and I's inheritance in Christ Jesus. Joy is not a reward for those who are moralistically good. Joy is not a, good, uh, a reward for those who attend church and pay tithes and do good things. No, joy is the portion, is joy is the reward for anyone who trusts in Jesus. How do I know that? The Bible says, in the kingdom of God, there's righteousness, peace, and joy in our good deeds? No. In our amazing attendance? No. You guys are a great audience. No, it says there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's the inheritance for everybody who calls on Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He says, I've got joy for you. And we've got to have a no matter what attitude. And now this is not a, a call to fake it till you'll make it or grin and bear it, you know, as if like, you know, when you ask someone, how are you doing? I'm blessed, brother. So blessed, sir. And they go like this. They start like limping and like, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. No, it's, it's, I say death to that type of, type of talk. Because what I mean, it's not like some positive thinking take over. And I just, just confess it until it's true. No, no, no. It's actually understanding that is truth, and we've got to anchor our heart toward the truth. Like Paul said, the same man in Romans 8, he says this, I am convinced. In other words, he could have said, no matter what, that neither height nor depth, nor life nor death, neither famine nor sword can separate me from the love of Christ. And this was a man who knew the depths. He knew the heights. He knew the famine. He knew the sword. He is qualified to say it. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. And we got to have that no matter what attitude in our heart. Let me explain it this way. I'm a little bit excited. When I met my beautiful wife, Fiona, I met her, I was interested, and when I saw her, from the moment I saw her, I said in my heart, no matter what. That girl will be mine. She didn't know it at the time. But I said, come hell or high water, she was going to be mine. And then as we started a friendship, she told me, you know, hey, there's this guy. So a big dude, big muscles, six pack. He wrestles bears on weekends. <laughs> he knows how to service his own car, you know, he makes his own biltong. I think he might have killed some terrorists in his life. And he likes me. And I heard all this and this went over my head because I said, No matter what, <laughs> you're gonna be mine. Then she told me as I told her, listen, I, I, think, we should, I think we should date. And we don't know known each other a short while. And she said to me, Okay, we haven't known each other long enough. And I said to her, no matter what. Because <laughs> I determined my heart. And then came a, a pivotal moment where I met a grandma from Potchefstroom, Stroom. <laughs> who could only speak Afrikaans. Not exaggerating. And she wasn't too sure of the skinny red-headed Inglesman. And I tell you when she looked at me a little bit disapprovingly at first, I said, Mark ni sak ni matter what. Let me tell you, as as Christ follows whatever prison that comes my way emotional, relational, health, financial, I have determined no matter what, I can have joy. That's the heart that you know, no matter what, must grip our hearts. Because I want to tell you this, either your circumstance will determine your joy, or your joy will determine your circumstance. Let me say it again, either your circumstance will determine your joy, and then you'll be this type of person, Katy Perry, hot and then cold, up and then down, in and then out, you know, or your joy (laughs) as Christians should determine our circumstances, how we embrace life. Second point tonight, no matter what, have to get a no matter what attitude in our hearts, and I pray that you and I have embraced it. Second, it says conduct yourself. I love that about the Bible. So clear, it says conduct yourself. Yeah, I want to say this, take responsibility. Your joy is not dependent on other people. Your joy is not dependent upon other people. Why do I say that? I've heard too many people say this. You know, he just ruined my day. My question to that statement is, who is he, and why have you given him so much authority? Why have you given him so much authority to determine your emotions, how your day goes? Can I tell you, too many people say, my spouse, oh, my kids, oh, my boss. Or they say, this country's going to the dogs. How can I have joy when I, no, my newsfeed on Facebook is full of d- depression and oh, oh, g- crime? And I'll say, no matter what, conduct yourself. The Bible calls us to conduct our side, so much so that Paul actually calls us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 to 9, go read it, he tells us, says, take hold of your thoughts. Too many of us live in that realm, my thoughts ran away with me. I've got a mind of its own, you know, just run, my thoughts went wild. No, 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 the Bible says, set your mind, fix your mind, think on these things. Philippians 4, verse 8 to 9 says, think on these things, They're things that things are righteous, pure, noble, trustworthy, good, wholesome. Take responsibility. Conduct yourself. Too many people tell me, "You know, I'm not really doing well with God because no one's discipling me." Firstly, disciples are noun, it's not a verb. Honestly, so discipling it doesn't even make good English sense. Okay, you can't believering someone or christening someone. Disciples are noun. It's who, what you and I are, and the Bible says, "Devote yourself to Christ Jesus." So we got to take ownership and responsibility for our joy. Joy is a serious business of heaven and it's available for you and I. Conduct yourself. Thirdly and most importantly this evening, the third point, no matter what, get a, no matter what attitude, secondly, conduct yourself. Thirdly, remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our source of joy is not in our circumstances, it's in a person and his name is Jesus Christ. That's why we can sing and baptize with confidence because it's not in us. If was up to us, I know I'm a hypocrite I'm the worst of their lot, but Jesus. And I want to invite you into the story that actually this series is calling us to maturity as Christians. Paul is calling us not to be these type of people. When things are good, but then when things are bad, we're really bad and we oh, and broken. And, and, but actually, let me tell you, when I say it's a calling us to maturity, don't get me wrong and, and think I'm saying it's calling us to morality. No, 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 no. Paul's not calling us to a greater level of morality. It's not even calling us to a greater attempt at perfection. No, this is what maturity is. If you want a definition of maturity for a Christ follower, it's somebody who trains themselves that no matter what happens, they keep running back to Jesus. They keep clinging to Jesus. No matter what, I'm not letting go. No matter what, I'm still running there. Can I tell you, that's what maturity is in the Christian walk. Let me tell you, this incredible thing is that Jesus died on the cross for you and I, and the reason he did it, he says this, was for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him. The joy. What was that joy? Yes, the Father's presence to be, uh, and yes, to bring many sons to glory, but the incredible fact was there's something in the book of Romans called the great exchange. Jesus on the cross, as Edwin spoke of earlier in the water, said when he died, he took what was the Father's? And the Father is full of joy. The Father tells us he's got pleasures forevermore. He's uh, The Father, he's defined by joy. The Father of joy. Jesus takes that which is the Father's and makes it yours and mine. And he takes our weakness and he takes our hopelessness and he takes our neediness and he says, I'm going to fill you with righteousness, peace and joy. No matter what. I'm coming for you. So I want to tell you this evening, as we launch this series, I want to invite you into a no matter what understanding of the gospel. Firstly, a no matter what person determines that they are made for joy. Secondly, a no matter what person takes authority for their own joy. And thirdly, a no matter what person buries themselves deep in Jesus Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ in me. That's the type of people that God's wanting to build here in this series. So can I invite you, over the next four or five weeks, can we go on this journey into this book? Can we read it? Can we engage with it? And can we trust that God is going to do a deep work in us and we'll have fountains and fountains of joy and we'll learn how to have joy in our prisons.